What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 40 of the Triage Method podcast. I hope you're all well. Uh, we got some really good feedback on the last podcast. People seem to enjoy it. Um, I guess that discussion of the behavioral side of nutrition was something people were interested in. So that is noted, and we'll be getting back to some of that stuff again next week. For this week, we're going to be kind of switching gears a little bit. We're going to be talking a bit about injuries and some training variables that affect that. But firstly, Paddy Farrell, how are you? I am absolutely fantastic, Gary. I have exams this week. It's obviously Saturday now. That's when we're recording this. Um, but I have exams Tuesday, Wednesday, and I want to say Friday. So it's going to be fucking lit. You don't have exams. You have like a, an essay or, or some fucking dissertation or something, do you? No, nah, our semester is just like placement, a short course presentation we have to do, and then our FYP, which is just kind of ongoing. So no exams, which is too easy. Also, did you know that you saying I'm absolutely fantastic, Gary, is now turning into a meme? So Gavin Cusick wrote back to me. I asked him how he was. I said, "How? I hope you're all, I hope you're well. And he said, I'm absolutely fantastic, Gary. So you're now a meme. Congrats. Good. I literally say it all the time anyway, so it's that's not going to change. <laughs> I could start saying like I'm absolutely exquisite or something if you like. <laughs> I'm tremendous. Um, but yeah, anyway, Gary, what are we actually talking about today? So we're talking about training load and injury risk. Okay. So how those two things are tied together. And the reason we're talking about that is because firstly, like people don't want to get injured, you know, that's, that's kind of fair. So if you want to reduce your risk of getting injury of getting injured, and whether you're an athlete or whether you're a general gym goer, then you want to know the sort of biggest contributors to you actually getting injured. And from my perspective, from kind of observation of the p- things people talk about on social media, and I know some of the beliefs that I've held in the past, we probably get it wrong a lot of the time. Like, I think people generally kind of miss the hierarchy of importance when it comes to things that might reduce their risk of injury. Okay, so people always talk about things like certain muscle dysfunctions and imbalances and, you know, activating muscles and muscles being switched off and all this different sort of stuff without actually contextualizing any of the information within the overall context of the training that they do and their overall life. Um, so I suppose to, to start off, before we before we go any further, what we need to do is sort of define exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about training load. And the sort of consensus on that from the Olympics committee, com- committee, committee <laughs> in 2016, <laughs> what, they, what they kind of classify training load as, as the sport and non-sport burden as a stimulus that's applied to a biological system. And that's important because it's the sport and non-sport burden. So we're not just talking about, like when when you're thinking about your total training load, you're not just thinking about the number of kilos that you lift on the bar or the number of reps that you do or the number of, you know, miles that you run or whatever. You're also taking into context, you know, psychological factors that may be affecting your overall you know, quote unquote, allostatic load. So the amount of stress that's on your body. So you're keeping those things in mind as well. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about training load. So do you have any input there, Paddy, before I ramble on? So are you just saying that we should take into account lifestyle stuff as well? And it's not just, you know, sets and reps. Believe it or not. Yes. (laughs) That's, that's actually revolutionary, Gary. I've I've never, literally never thought of it like that. You know, like imagine like, (laughs) you put a stressor on your body and you don't take account for all the other stressors that are on your, your being as a whole. That's, that's actually very strange. 
Believe it or not, that that's the way people think, Patty. They think it's it's all just mind or body, and those two things aren't tied together. But anyway, to sort of put, put the, to sort of set the scene for what we're talking about here, you know, people th- can think of training load in many, many, many different ways. Okay, so if if I was to ask you know a sample of people, you know what they thought training load meant, they might say how hard my session was, or the time I spent training, or you know. I don't know how many times I train per week. So you, you'll you'll hear all these different things to try and quantify training load. And when you actually look into the research, the sort of the surprisingly the best way we can we can measure training load across different populations um, as it relates to injury risk seems to be session RPE, which is actually a subjective a subjective kind of way of, of measuring training load. And like before we even get there. What you've to, what you've to to realize is that there's multiple different ways that you're going to measure training load. So if you look into the research on this, you're going to see lots and lots of different methods, and these can be internal or external. So an internal way that you would measure training load would be essentially your response to a given unit of training. So that could be you know subjective or objective. So an objective measure would be your heart rate response or blood lactate or something like that as a response to training. So you're essentially looking at what's going on within the body when you do a given bout of training. Whereas the perceptual thing is going to be more so related to how you perceive a certain training load to be, how difficult you feel it is. So that, that can be things like session RPE, which we'll touch on in a moment. And then what you've got is you've got your external measures. So they're the things that people would probably initially think would be superior. So measuring how many kilometers you've run, how many kilos you've lifted on the bar, how many, let's say, throws you've done if you're a pitcher or something like that. So they're your external things. And then what you do is you further subdivide those, but we'll touch on that in a moment. So if we're talking about session RPE, this is one of the best ways that we can kind of start this conversation. And session RPE is essentially the RPE value. So how dif- how how difficult you feel your session was out of 10. So for example, if I say to you, Patty, oh, how difficult was your um, run that you went on yesterday morning? And you're like, oh, it was probably about a 7 out of 10. Then we take that 7 out of 10 and we say, that's how difficult it was. That was your session RP. And then to get a training load value, we simply multiply that by the duration of your session. So if it was 60 minutes, then what we'd say is, all right, that's 420 units or arbitrary units of training load. And when, you, when I kind of put that forward, you're probably thinking, that sounds ridiculous. An arbitrary unit, an arbitrary measure of anything is not going to be helpful. Like it's not specific. Um, and, and like that's your initial kind of interpretation, which is fair enough. But when you actually look into, you know, how how valid, how reliable, essentially how useful it is as a measure, it's actually pretty damn useful. Yeah, I I, I think this is a, a key point to kind of get across in the entire argument or whatever discussion that we're having is even though you're actually saying that it is subjective, it is actually a better measure than an objective thing. And that obviously has to do with the fact that, you know, the objective thing is actually changing based on your subjective feelings, right? And that that kind of seems a bit like stupid when you kind of think of it at first, but you have to, you kind of have to get like fucking, I don't know, esoteric on this shit and start thinking that, you know, at the end of the day, it is all your perception. Like this reality here is all your perception of it, you know? And this is really easy to understand when you look at how people deal with stress outside of the gym, right? You know, someone will say, uh, oh, go fuck yourself or whatever to someone. And that, that will literally defeat someone. You know, they'll, they'll call them a name or something. And that'll literally like destroy their confidence. They'll feel like shit. They'll feel like crap. Whereas you'll say it to someone else and they'll be like, yeah, so what? Like, and just get on with their day, right? So 
those are objectively the same event happened to those people, but subjectively they experienced it differently. Right. So, you know, you like it, I, if you made a racist remark to someone who was like, I literally don't care about this remark at all. Like that's that's your problem, not mine. And they went on with their day subjectively. They're like, OK, that's that was an, an RPE. They had more in the tank, you know, like that, that hatred or that racism would have had to get much higher or more intense or whatever the fuck you want to call it before they actually started getting to an RPE uh, or whatever you want to call this rating of perceived fucking racism. (laughs) Uh, It would have to get much higher before they, you know, got to an intensity level or a load that was like, nah, that's just too much. Right. Whereas someone else, their RPE of that was at a 10 when the objective thing was lower. So it, even though it sounds kind of counterintuitive, when initially when you think about it, you're like, why would I choose a subjective thing when I'm actually trying to get an objective outcome, right? The, the issue is you can't actually measure the objective outcome, you know? You're trying to use proxy measures for the, the training of that outcome, you know? So that's why we use generally a subjective thing. And again, it's not like the subjective has doesn't have its its drawbacks because obviously if it's subjective you know it it is subjective you know there's so many things that go into it and this is again what we're saying like we're making a joke of it but you do have to take into account all the other variables that are going on in your life to actually make a quantifiable objective choice with your overall training and how you are recovering from your training yeah and that like that's a really good point because i think it's a good point to kind of bring up and for us to talk about a bit more because otherwise we could glance over it. and i think it's an important point to make in the industry in general because i think people are obsessed with like tracking objective data on paper like this is what's going on in my physiology and they're obsessed with that sort of stuff probably because it kind of glamorizes the science side of things and it, it kind of it gives the illusion of more competence however if you actually look into the weeds on a lot of different measures for things like perception-based measures tend to do really, really well. And it sort of comes back to that discussion that we had at the start where I said, you know, that it was the sport and non-sport burden. And, and you said, oh my God, you know, it's, it's hardly that psycho- psychological factors could play into it. And they do. So it's far, it's far more than just the 100 kilos on the bar. And the thing is, everyone understands this when you actually kind of put it in context. Like, I mean, there's days where you'll film, you'll film your lifts and you'll look at a video of the lift and you're like, oh, that looked easy, but oh my God, it felt like absolute hell. It felt like RPE 11, you know, and that happens. And, you know, your psychological stress, how much you've slept, all of that feeds into the amount of fatigue that you get from a given training session. And that's just one of the, the ways in which you can kind of begin to realize that, all right, I can kind of see how a session RPE measure of training load might be more effective than looking at something like, I don't know, your, your load volume. Like for example, people will, will measure that sometimes and say, oh, I did um, a thousand kilos of training volume on my squats because I did, I don't know, 10, 10 reps of 100 kilos or whatever. So a thousand kilos of volume. And it's like, that's fine. But what that doesn't allow for is us differentiating between you and another individual and also you as an individual on different days at different time points um, at different points in the season or whatever it is. So that's the beauty of, the, of using kind of session RPE as one of these training values. So, that, so that's our sort of starting point. Oh, so we're looking at that. No, session no, RPE. I'm kind of interrupting your, your train of thought, but yeah, it, it, it should also be taken into account that you can actually then push this the other way, right? So we're obviously talking about, you know, using RPE and we'll, we'll call it 
quote unquote holding back, right? Taking it easier. Like, w- 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 like I actually don't like RPE. Like, I, I do like it. I like the concept, but I don't actually like it in use. What I like is a bit more, we'll call it like auto regulation, right? And that's essentially what RPE is doing in the grand scheme of things. You know, it's allowing you to better auto regulate your, your, your overall training right but you can also push this the other way and this is generally the the mentality that like say uh, competitive athletes will fall into bodybuilders those kind of things you know they'll fall into it where it's like oh yeah this this lift felt like shit but i'm a fucking animal i my competition is training hard so i'm gonna push through anyway and they'll get themselves psyched up in the head and they'll be like yeah okay cool this is this is literally too easy and like we 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 do it as well with the, the too easy mentality but you can also do this the other way where, you know, you might think that it feels heavy, but you're kind of like, okay, well, I'm actually going to psych myself out. I'm going to use like visualization. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to kind of quote unquote, hack the nervous system and get the outcome that I'm looking for. However, that might be good in the individual session. You're like, look, this hundred kilos is feeling fucking awful, but um, my competition, they're, they're doing it. I have to, I have to beat them, you know? Uh, so you, you pump out the 100 kilos, even though subjectively it felt initially a little bit hard, you got yourself psyched out and you're like, boom, got it done. And it, it then, as a result, felt easier because you're like, you had that, we'll call it transient motivation or whatever. You had that person in your head that you're thinking, that's my competition. They're able to do this. I'm going to destroy them, blah, blah, blah. Right. So you can also push this the other way. However, you have to look at the longer term overall holistic view of it. Like this is what we're saying, like that getting yourself psyched out, getting yourself hyped up and blah, 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 whatever else to actually perform that lift and make it feel easy for you. It it does actually influence your overall stressors because now you not only have to recover from the, the training stress itself, like the actual weight on the bar, the external measures, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But you also now have to recover from the fact that you got yourself psyched up to fuck to do that lift, you know? So you have to take that into account. And this is people kind of try to brush it under the carpet or whatever, but you know, using excessive amounts of stimulants to get your workouts done, not only means you have to recover from your workout, but you also have to recover from those stimulants as well. You know? So you do have to take that all into account, but yeah, that's just my level. Yeah. And that's, that's the reason as well. Like you don't see like powerlifters using sniffing ammonia for every one of their, their sets, or you, you don't listen to your, favorite heavy metal song that you know gets you going for every single set like try and do that like genuinely go into your workout do the same sound that hypes you up every time and do it for all 20 sets of your workout and see if you're actually able to maintain that vigor throughout each and every set you won't because you will be, you will get more fatigued from simply doing that and what you'll find is that after the first couple of sets like you feel extra fatigued versus how, how fatigued you would have felt had you not used any of that vigor because again the psychological stressors all fit fit in with these so-called physical stressors so your body's taking you know is essentially taking all of these stressors and then and then kind of interpreting those as opposed to just putting them all into separate compartments and being like that's the physical stuff that's okay we will keep that separate the psychological stuff it's just not how it works um but anyway to what we're going to do is ba- i'm basically going to take you through some more of the theory and then what we're going to do is 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 apply it a little bit more and try and make try and get you to understand this stuff conceptually because to be honest i don't really care if everyone goes away from this podcast and starts calculating things like that's not the important thing it's the concept that's important so as we said you know we're calculating training load using session rpe 
So you're kind of doing that. But then, like, obviously what you want to know is, all right, how does this even relate to injury risk? Because obviously you want to have some idea of how, you know, when, when, at what point this actually becomes potentially injurious. And what we tend to see is that, like, 5 to 10% increases in training load per week are generally the sweet spot. And a lot of this comes from, from, from work with Tim Gabbett and other authors. And you can email us for some of those references. But 5 to 10% per week seems to be kind of that sweet spot because what oh, tends to they, happen... They don't need to email us for the references. You put the references in the article that's in the militia on this. They can go there. That's true. It is there. <laughs> but but yeah, for, so you, you see it about 5 to 10% per week is probably a good place to be in terms of increasing um, your training load. So for example, if you're doing 2,000 arbitrary units of training load per week, and you increase that to 2200 then that'd be a 10 percent increase because what you end up seeing is that when it, when you go up above, above that there's a drastic increase in injury risk so like from from some sports what you see is that between five to ten percent increase per week there's a, a likelihood of injury of about seven seven to nine percent so around there not not particularly high because what you have to realize is that there's always some risk of injury like you're not going to omit that totally it's just not possible so there's always something there um, and obviously, if you are someone that is trying to improve your fitness in some way, like you're trying to get extra fitness adaptations, there does need to be an increase in training load over time anyway. Um, so that that's just the thing. It needs to, to be increasing over time. So that's sort of the sweet spot. When you go up above like about 15%, you see that that increase, that, that risk of injury going up above 20%. So it's, it's more than double. Um, so it is pretty significant. So that's kind of where you start when you're looking at this stuff. So you're looking at how much am I changing my load from week to week? And like, again, I want to make it very clear that you don't have to go away and calculate your training load for all of your sessions immediately. It's not a bad idea, particularly if you're working with athletes, maybe who are doing multiple different types of activity. Um, but the main point I want you to take away is the fact that drastic increases in weekly training load increase your risk of injury. So where this ends up applying is in the case of for example, you go away on holidays for four weeks or whatever, you maybe do a couple of sessions, but then what you do when you come back is you go into five days of weight training out of nowhere and you're taking all of your sets to failure. It's like, that's a pretty terrible idea in terms of injury risk. And it doesn't matter if you're choosing the perfect exercises. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're controlling all of your lifts, the fact that you have drastically increased training load is going to increase risk of injury and put you at that risk. And it's the, the, the place where you see this being most relevant is probably in people who are playing sport um, who are in their preseason, you know, especially if they're kind of amateur sport and they take their they take their off season real life, you know, they take a little bit too literally. So, you know, in their off season, maybe they're doing like a couple of sessions here and there, but they don't take it too seriously. And then suddenly the preseason comes around and you're being hammered and that old school Irish GA mentality of flog the lads until they get sick like just just run up and down the pitch you start doing that and then you have an increased risk of injury and then you have that guy on the team that's the permanent rehabber like everyone knows that guy on the team that is always you know doing his rehab drills because he's always injured and essentially what he does is as soon as he feels good he jumps back into full into training again and he gets injured again and it's like oh god it must be something wrong with my body I must have pelvic misalignment, my feet are pronated. And it's like, no, you're missing the bigger picture. And that's why this is important. So that's what we're looking at in terms of you start with, with some measure of training load. Like, and again, it's all about the concepts. So if we use session RPE to measure training load, um, which seems to be one of the better ones, and then you look at your week to week change, that's where you start. 
And then if you really wanted to kind of take things up a notch again, what you can look at is something called the acute to chronic workload ratio. And essentially what that is, is a way of looking at your training load in a current week versus your training load over a four week period. And it's not always a four week period. It can be different periods of time, but that's one way in which you can look at it. So for example, if someone did 2,400 arbitrary units of training load this week, so let's say you did 300 minutes of exercise at a session RPE of eight. So that's 2,400 arbitrary units of training load. But over the past four weeks, your average was actually 1,200. So you were only doing about 1,200 arbitrary units of training load. So you weren't really doing much training. You know, you fell out of the habit and you stopped going to your extra, you know, fitness session that the team had put on for you. And that's that was your average training load. And then you come back into training. You do those 2,400 arbitrary units of training load. What that means is that your acute, i.e. this week, to chronic, i.e. the four-week period workload ratio is 2.0. And that means nothing to you right now. But if you look at the research, what you'll see is that somewhere between about 0.8 and 1.3 is that sweet spot for that acute to chronic workload ratio. So you want you you want to be either very slightly decreasing training load or slightly increase or slightly increasing training load. But what you're not looking at is those rapid increases. So if you've doubled your training load versus your four week average, there's a significant increase in your injury risk and you don't want to be putting yourself in that position. And the interesting thing about this concept, the acute to chronic workload ratio, is that it has sort of a, a U shape. Okay, so it's, it's, it's almost like a U shape as opposed to it being a linear increase. So more training is not necessarily injurious. So that's, that's, that's one of those kind of central dogmas in like, physio and, and sports medicine is that like oh you should you just need to be be careful just train smart and that's it and it's like it's not just about training smart it's also about training hard because if you if you noticed i said you you don't want it to be less than 0.8 the reason that that increases your injury risk if you drop training down too low is because during subsequent bouts you are less prepared for them because you don't have those fitness adaptations so if you were to if you were to reduce training load and do that for a couple of weeks and then go back into the higher training load you're at an increased risk of injury because you have had some sort of detraining or you're not currently adapted to those sessions that you were previously adapted to. So that's that's another thing to keep in mind with, you know, the, the mindset of deloads, for example. If someone is doing a deload, an extended deload over the Christmas period for two weeks and you, you really reduce training down from like six days to three days and then you jump back into six days again, bad idea. You're not prepared for it straight away and you don't want to jump straight back in. So that's sort of the acute to chronic workload ratio concept. Again, I want you to understand the concept. Like if you want the theory and you want the numbers, like you can either join the militia, look at the article there, or you can go and look this stuff up in the research yourself. Because obviously I would expect that if you're going to put this stuff into practice with a team or something, then you'd look more into it. Because there are better ways of calculating this. Like you can also look at um, an exponentially weighted moving average model of this. And essentially what that means is that You'll notice I said that the chronic workload ratio or the chronic workload is over a four week period and you just get the average of that. But obviously the training that you did four weeks ago is not equal in terms of its fatiguing effects or the fitness benefits to the training you did last week. So there are certain models that account for those differences. Um, but yeah, the, the key point there is that it's not just about the spikes in training load that are potentially increasing injury risk. It's also the drops in training load. And this is where we bring in this concept of training being like a vaccine. Okay. So training like that, that was something that Tim Gabbett said 
that training is almost like an injury vaccine. And the reason for that is because as you increase, you're, you're essentially like microdosing over time. So you're increasing the dose gradually over time to increase your tolerance to higher levels of training load. So your goal is not just to like wrap yourself in bubble wrap and never do more training because you're afraid of getting injured. Rather, it's about being smart about training hard. So you're trying to train harder over time. You're trying to creep those training loads up, but you're doing so um, recognizing that if you do it too fast, you may be increasing injury risk. Because if you're an athlete, like that's really important because there's there's evidence to suggest that, you know, the athletes who have those higher chronic training loads, so you do more training in the long term that you're adapted to, you're then more protected against injury when it comes to like the competitive season, um, which makes sense. Like, I mean, if you're used to doing like five or six days of really hard training in it and it's now you're now at the point where it's no bother to you then if you're doing those like let's say you're doing four sessions at some point in the future like that's no big deal to you but if you're the person that's only adapted to two or three hard sessions a week and then you do those four sessions that's a big deal to you so again it's all relative and it's about looking at what you're prepared for versus what you're doing so patty i'll let you chime in because i don't want to go any further yeah, this before, this also um, like it, it can seem when you're talking there that this only applies to athletes you know but that that's not actually the case it obviously applies to everyone because athletes are actually despite popular opinion they are actually humans as well you know um but you know if you if you take into account putting this in a very relatable kind of framework if you for example li- live in ireland live in dublin right and you go to London for a holiday, you go for the weekend, you're like, oh, I want to explore London, right? What most people do is they'll go from their normal, we'll say 10,000 steps per day, right? If you're an office worker, you know, maybe you're a little bit more sedentary or whatever, and your average is 7,000 steps per day, right? And that that's where you're, you're always roughly at. If you go over to London for the weekend, you're like, yes, I'm going to go exploring. And all of a sudden your step count goes up to 30,000, 40,000, which wouldn't be unheard of, especially if you're not using the tube. Like London is pretty big. You know, even just walking through some of the parks and stuff, like you can rack up like 10, 20K steps, you know? So if you go from that 7,000, 10,000 steps per day, and then all of a sudden you're away for the weekend and you do 30, 40,000 steps on the Saturday, you know, you're going to wake up on Sunday morning and feet are going to be blistered, your fucking ankles are going to hurt, your calves are going to hurt, your legs are going to hurt, everything's going to hurt. So that's very intuitive to understand that if you just rapidly increase your training load, and I put that like in again, quotations, like that is a that is a training stimulus, that is a stimulus that your body has to adapt to, you know, so putting it into the framework of, okay, so if I am going to have this exposure to something that is way out of my my normal you know it probably would be a good idea to you know train yourself up to that point you know and i'm not saying you actually have to go and train like oh i'm gonna start going from ten thousand steps to twelve thousand to fifteen thousand to seventeen thousand you know i'm not saying that you actually have to go like that but you have to put strategies in place to kind of make your body more resilient to that stressor if you are looking to actually you know expose yourself to that stressor and then not get an injury you know and again people just generally think of injuries in terms of we'll call them you know catastrophic injuries they're like oh i fucking tore a muscle here or i don't know did did my acl in or something but that's that that's an extreme end of the injury like it could even just be like you know a a a small you know graded tear of the muscle that's not like it's not you know completely 
taking you out of training, not completely taking you out of your, your day-to-day life. You know, you don't need a cast or anything, but it's something that you feel now. You know, you're like, oh, my hamstring's a little bit at me. My adductor is a little bit at me. Or, you know, even even stuff like blisters and stuff, like people just kind of go, oh, that's, that's not an injury. Like I haven't been injured. Like that is actually an injury to your body. That is something that your body has had to deal with as an overall stressor. <clears throat> and we kind of, forget about that stuff and just go ah yeah like that's that's just normal whatever but it is something that you should be taking into account and going well why am i getting these you know injuries what am i doing with my day-to-day life my training load my you know whatever whatever you want to call it your adaptation load you know whatever it is that you're subjecting your body to you know you've actually subjected it to something that it can't adapt to so, you know, bringing that into a more graded exposure to that and then kind of, you know, making your body more resilient to that is probably a good idea. And that's not to say like this whole discussion of uh, training load and injury risk, like if you do this, you do everything perfect, you listen, you're going, cool, I'm giving myself like slowly bringing up my overall training so that I'm actually able to handle these more extreme training loads. That's not to say that you won't get injured, you know, like you could have the most resilient body. Yeah. You know, like you could literally have a resting heart rate of 30. You could literally squat fucking 700 pounds, you know, whatever the fuck. You're literally like, oh, my body is absolutely resilient as fuck. If I get a sledgehammer out and I fucking bash your knees in, you know, your your knees are going to be fucked. You know, so there, that's not to say like just because your body is hugely resilient that you can't still go beyond your ability to actually deal with a stressor that is imposed on it, you know? So... That, that does have to be taken into account with the overall discussion. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And and you actually like you brought up the the point about steps and stuff to try and have, to try and get people to understand that intuitively. But like again, that like that stuff is actually really important. Like as in, I I actually got an Achilles tendinopathy that was pretty much solidified as a result of me doing loads of steps. Like because we ran a five k that morning in when I stayed at your house before I went to Rome in January we ran five kilometers literally just on the treadmill like no big deal it was fine but like afterwards I kind of noticed my Achilles is like well didn't feel so good hadn't ran treadmill in a while like just randomly did a 5k and it's like ah probably no big deal if I had just rested and not further increased training load but what I did then was went to Rome and did 30,000 steps for three days in a row and I mean that's not a a big deal like if you just did 30,000 steps one day it's like Ah, yeah, I might be a bit fatigued. But what you have to realize is that stress is cumulative. So once you do these things day on day on day on day and you don't actually allow yourself the opportunity to recover, then that's when you put yourself at risk of injury. So it's like if you didn't understand this stuff, then what you could do is you could look at like you could easily look at my feet and be like, oh, Gary, I think you got the Achilles tendinopathy because you've got supinated feet and the control of your toes is actually lacking. And it's like just totally misses the bigger picture. And that's the reason this stuff is important. It's more important than any other injury discussion, because if you're looking at specific biomechanical variables in terms of like, oh, the person's in a bit of valgus or one hip's higher than the other, and you're not considering the overall stress that they're being exposed to, then you're totally missing the bigger picture. It's similar to nutrition where you, you know, you're focused on specific micronutrients before you're looking at the overcalorie content of the diet, you know, again, completely missing the bigger picture. So when you're starting to think about this sort of, sort of stuff conceptually, think about all of the inputs that go into determining the stress that is on your body. So for example, if you are doing a four day training split and you change nothing in that training split, the, tra- the stress that your body is exposed to and your risk of injury can fluctuate from week to week, depending on other variables. So if you have exams, that is more stress on your body that will 
potentially affect your ability to recover from training and potentially affect the fatigue and the injury risk from those exams as well so that, that and that hits some people more than others you know some people get really really stressed out um totally affects their eating behavior they get like real anxious and depressed around exam time and some people it won't bother them at all so again that's why you have to to really focus on on you as a person and how you respond to these things so if you if you are doing those that four day training split and on a given week you don't sleep very well um you've got exams um your girlfriend also dumped you um, to add to the, to your mess of a life and then you're also eating a really like crappy diet you have no appetite let's say and you're not able to eat any food do not expect that four day training split to be the exact same in terms of stress on your body as the four day training split you did last week so it's important to know that it's it's really important to know that because otherwise you don't understand training because otherwise you're just you're just applying an arbitrary thing to your body without actually recognizing like what what else is going on um so it is it is really really important so next time you're thinking about how you got injured like let's say you've you've got a little bit of shoulder pain now or you've got a little bit of back pain or whatever what i want you to do and and again the, the definition of injury is actually quite contentious like it's not very easy to define what an injury is like like again like you said like is a blister an injury um is pain that was just you know, I slept kind of poorly. Uh, I got a little bit of back pain. Didn't feel didn't feel so good. Um, is that an injury? It's like it's not easy to actually draw the line, and that's something that's not even very clear in the research. But anyway, um, the next time you experience one of these things, so one of these sensations, we'll say, so you've got some pain. What I want you to do is look back over your week, over the days that led up to that point. And ask yourself, you know, are there any other explanations beyond my reductionist explanation of, I don't know, I have a, a disc that's out of place, not a thing, but you know, whatever, whatever people, people rationalize injuries for different reasons. And what you'll often find is that there are some contributors that, that, that lead up to these points. Like, oh, you know, actually I, I normally work at the till and pennies, whereas I, I actually was on on the floor and I was doing lots of walking and it was a different stress on my body and I actually found it really stressful because my boss kept giving out to me and you know she was pissing me off um, and I keep lifting these heavy boxes and she was fucking telling me I was doing it wrong and it really annoyed me and then I went to the gym and then my back was a little bit aggravated and it's like aha so there's more than just your training that is going into this um, so yeah um, just just look at the bigger picture don't freak out if you do experience pain and recognize that you don't always have to fix something in your body to alleviate injury risk. Yeah, and or, ju just yeah. on that as well, like people kind of forget that a stressor at one point in time is not the same as a stressor in a different point in time. And what I mean by that is like you could have the perfect four day split, five day split, six day split for you right now, right? You're like, yes, I can recover from it wonderfully. Everything is perfect. You know, I feel great. You know, all these, you know, more objective measures of health or whatever you want to call it are, are, are doing good. You know, they're, they're all in place, but that's not to say that that same stressor that you're putting on your body now is going to be, or lead to the same results down the line. And this is, this is something that people kind of forget uh, or just don't pay heed to because they're searching for the program, the perfect solution. You know, people will be like, oh, I was using, I don't know, Wendler 531 for powerlifting. I was doing that and man, I got great results. I was getting stronger and stronger the whole time. You know, there's going to be a point where that stops being an adequate stimulus to elicit adaptation. 
you know, or the adaptation that you want. But people will still try to shoehorn themselves into a program that isn't getting them results anymore. You know, they'll be like, oh, no, this this it used to get me results, you know, so I'm going to keep keep hammering it until, you know, I crack the code. Maybe it's an assistance exercise that I'm missing or maybe it's a a certain, I don't know, dietary fucking program that I'm missing. You know, they'll kind of, again, reduce the whole thing down and try to shoehorn themselves into a set program, a set stimulus. And it's like you're not taken into account and people do this all the time with looking at you know fitness youtubers or instagram fitspos or whatever the fuck and it's like those people are doing this as their only stressor like that's their 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 life is easy quote unquote other than that it's like they literally wake up chill out for a while maybe record some content uh, which it is stressful, you know, you, it does actually take some time, whatever, you know, uh, maybe they watch a few YouTube videos and then it's like 2 p.m. or something. They're like, yeah, I'm actually going to go stall to the gym now and, you know, have a, have a nice workout. And that's their day. That's their entire day. They don't have the stressor of, you know, a boss. They don't have the stressor of whatever they th- that's their only stressor. So it's like, how could you expect yourself to adapt to that program if you have, you know, a three-month-old child, uh, you know, your your mortgage, you're kind of like, oh, I'm kind of falling behind on my mortgage. You know, work is a stressor. Uh, and you have all these other things that are going on. And you're like, yeah, of course, I just saw this guy posted his new six-day split. That's what I'm going to do. And it's like, th- this is completely missing the point of individuality and again like i say it all the time or we say it all the time but like everyone wants to be an individual they're like oh i'm a unique snowflake but then all of a sudden they're like i'm a unique snowflake but i'm going to do this completely generic you know template of a a program of a diet plan of whatever and it's like like why did you just stop being unique then you know why didn't you keep your uniqueness and you know realize that a program is going to have to be unique to you you know, you, like you're just pick and choosing when you want to be an individual. <laughs> yes, sir. And you also brought up the point there of um, a stressor not being the same at one point versus another point. And I think pe- like people always make this mistake with um, with training programs. Like they, they'll they be like, you know what? I'm actually going to go back to that program that I did because when I did that when I was 20, which was four years ago, I got the sickest results. They were, I got the best results. So I'm going to back, go back and do that. And then they don't get results. And then they're like, instead of like changing the program, they just keep trying to train harder at the program and push themselves further and further. And it's like, you're not seeing the point here that the training stress is totally different on your system now versus the system that you had then. Uh, And it also touches on the point that I think we've discussed multiple times where people had the whole low volume versus high volume like discussion, even though people often aren't even training like low volume. But I've had this discussion with clients where, they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, they mightn't be getting the the best um, results in terms of increases in strength and hypertrophy at a given point in time. And we're making changes to the program and they'll say, I'd love to do a low volume program. And it's like, I get where you're coming from, but if you think about like what is contributing to extra adaptations, like even if we just generalize it to fitness adaptations, if you're doing 20 sets per week currently, or 20 units of stress right that's what you're doing currently and then what and and you're you know you're recovering from that fine um you don't feel like you're absolutely totally fatigued from that or anything um but but you're not getting the best results like it's totally counterintuitive to say to yourself 
you know what, maybe I should do 10, 10 sets or 10 units of training stress per week instead. It's like, where's that logic coming from? You know, it's because it, it, it doesn't make any sense if you have no signs of overreaching or, or overtraining to like cut your training volume in half and try and really reduce things down to nothing um, to try and get better results. Like it doesn't make any sense based on what we know about the way in which body, the, the human body adapts to stressors, particularly as it relates to fitness. And that like, it's, it's sort of the same logic as, Oh, I'm I'm eating too little. That's why I'm gaining weight. It's like, excuse me, like what, what, <laughs> you know? And and I know that, that that I know what people mean sometimes in that case in terms of they set their goals too low, they end up overeating and etc. Um, but yeah, just, you have to think about like when you're thinking about those things, does this make sense logically? Like, does it actually make logical sense that me doing far less training would lead to better fitness in the long run? It's like probably not and that's not to say that you should always do more because obviously as we've said many times you know it's not always a good idea to do more you might be able to tolerate more you mightn't even be tolerating what you're doing currently it might be of shit quality etc etc but you get the good, point on good 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 there's something i wanted to say i can't remember what did you say before you you talked about you know clients asking for lower volume I was talking, well, I, I brought it up as the discussion between the low volume and high volume. Before that, just before that, like. Oh. See, I hate this. I also hate when people on podcasts ask, like, oh, what did I just say before that? Because the person <laughs> listening to this is listening to this as a conversation and they're not listening to this as like a, a, an in-person conversation right now where your thought process is, you know, changing by the second. Like they could literally just rewind this and be like, oh, yeah. you said this, obviously these, these dumb motherfuckers can't even remember back fucking two minutes, you know? But what did you say, Gary? Normally I'm good for remembering this stuff, but I can't remember. I was just talking about low volume versus high volume and like having to progress the stress over time to get more adaptations. Um, what were we talking about before that? Dude. anyway look it's gone i'm sorry guys i had a brilliant absolutely earth shattering thought but it's gone now sorry um but yeah so injuries we're looking to not get injured mm-hmm. we're looking to not get injured by virtue of grading our exposure to stressors does this just mean that we like my goal is to never get injured. My goal is to be the most resilient human ever. Do I just keep it increasing my volume forever? <laughs> yeah. So firstly, two things. Firstly, you're going to get injured at some point. Sorry, it's going to happen. It's like something, something is going to happen. You're going to feel a little bit of pain sometime. Okay. That's it's pretty fine. pessimistic. But... <laughs> I actually never get injured. Although my calves are really sore at the moment, but is that an injury? I don't know. But <laughs> first so that's the first thing is like you can't totally prevent injuries like there's it's probably not going to happen um something's going to happen at some point and the second thing is no okay so you you can't just you can't just keep increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing forever obviously that makes no sense and that's sort of the the point of like listening to your body so to speak which people are actually terrible at you know as in like you need to know when your body is screaming out, like, could you please stop? Like, you know, if you're doing a program and you're like, you've literally been doing the same program for 17 weeks and you keep trying to increase weight in the bar and doing more sets and you've got all this pain in different areas of your body, you're totally fatigued. You have no motivation to train. You're having changes in your appetite. You're not sleeping as well. And you leave the gym feeling like shit. Then they're all signs that maybe you should take a break a time a time at which you reduce your training load so that's the way in which kind of things generally look in well-structured training programs is that 
you know, you have this gradual increase in some parameters of the difficulty of the training over the course of, let's say, six to eight weeks. Let's just use that time frame. Then what you do is you take your um, lighter week of training, your deload, whatever you want to call it. So you have that lighter week of training where the training stress is brought down. And then you gradually introduce the next phase of the training program. It could be the case that your deload week is simply a week at the start of the next training program. That's really, really, really easy. But basically what you're doing is you're making a small increase and then you come back down and then you make a small increase. But that small increase at the next phase of the program is coming from a slightly higher starting point. You know, so that's that sort of like if you were to give a generic way in which like a program might look over time, it's probably going to be something like that. Um, so that's what you're looking to do. You're not looking to just, you know, keep, keep on the same program and try and continuously increase volume forever, because that's not just, that's not the way it works either. Like you can't just keep continuously adapting to more. Um, and there is a point where, you know, your body's going to be like, all right, mate, could you, could you please stop? <laughs> because fatigue isn't something that just accumulate, like, it's not like you work out fatigue goes away um, back to baseline and you go again it's like if you're if you're continuously working out harder and harder over a period of time and you're putting more stress in your body it's not just a 24-hour thing fatigue can leak into the next day that can compromise your performance a little bit but you train anyway and eventually you're left with like more fatigue at the end of a training program which is totally normal and then you have your lighter week of training and then that dissipates a little bit and on you go and that doesn't mean training always needs to look like that it could be the case that you just you're a very casual gym goer you never really accumulate enough fatigue to ever need to have a week off. And you just kind of just tip away at three days per week for years on end. In a couple of years, you start doing four days and that's just the way it works for you. Some people don't need to worry about this stuff, but gen generally the people that want answers to these questions are people that probably do need to worry about, uh, worry about this stuff because this happens all the time in the gym. You know, people like just, just because I like know uh, one or two things about weight training and injuries <laughs> what people will do is come up to me in the gym and be like oh yeah my shoulder hurts um what's the story like I'm just like how do I fix it like straight away and it's like all right you know what's your training been like recently and they're like oh yeah I'm doing like uh chest like three days a week and I'm like all right what do you do for chest and people are like oh well why are you asking that as if it doesn't matter it's like no it doesn't matter and then they're like oh yeah I do like bench and then I do uh flat dumbbell bench and then I do uh, incline dumbbell bench and then I do dumbbell flies and then I do uh incline cable flies and it's like you're doing like 15 sets like three or four times a week like you're doing 45 to 60 sets a week and it's like how long have you been doing that and it's like oh I've been doing it for about three or four months now and it's like they're just continuously hammering themselves so you need to give yourself that opportunity um to take some lighter periods of time every now and then and that can be proactive or it can be reactive um I like people in the real world to allow themselves to adjust their training kind of reactively like for example if you have that exam period you know training isn't going to be going well then what you do at that time is you say all right I'm going to take a lighter week of training and I'm just going to accept that there's other stressors on my body and that's cool so no to your question you don't want to increase training volume forever but it it's a trend you will see over years let's say yeah, and this is one of those things as well. When you listen to the overall discussion here, like you can come away from this and think, oh, I have to apply RPE to my training or I have to, you know, really, really micromanage my overall training volume. And it's like, that's not actually what we're saying. Like I actually don't use RPE with a lot of my clients, right? But what I get them to do is more auto-regulate. You know, if they're having a bad day, they're like, oh, like I'm not doing this. Or they're having a period of time where there's a lot of stress going on in their life. Like I will just decrease 
the training volume myself. Like I, I will literally just be like, all right, cool. We were doing four days. Let's do three days. Or, you know, we were doing three sets. Let's just do two sets, you know? Like you can do it proactively, like you said, but I, I'm not using RPE to do that or I'm not scheduling deloads to do that. I'm like, this is the the adaptations we want. What is the minimum effective dose to get those adaptations or, you know, uh, elicit some sort of adaptation in that direction? You know, that's what that's what you have to have in your mind. Right. Uh, and then it's like, what 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 is the maximum? Like, what what would my, my ideal situation for this individual be because again it's it's individual like the the maximum you know at least you could be like oh well i'm just going to train six days or six six times per day and it's like well that's just unrealistic for you know everyone and <laughs> um, so you have to go like what am i actually trying to achieve where is my overall volume at and how do i actually perceive the overall stress of that training program because you don't have to program in RPE be like oh well this this set is an RPE seven I want you to always keep you know whatever three reps in the tank if you want to go think of it that way you know and it's like that that's not necessarily how you have to think of it what you want to really think of it is like how do I actually objectively and subjectively recover from these training sessions you know they could be RPE ten training sessions but you recover from them well. And then the next session, you're able to adapt and go forward, you know? So you don't actually have to use RPE to use RPE. You can kind of self-regulate a bit more by going, okay, how am I actually adapting to the stimulus that I'm I'm trying to provide? For example, an easy way to do this is if you are getting stronger, then you are recovering adequately, right? And what I mean by that is if you have, I don't know, three sets of, six to eight reps is your is your goal and you're progressively getting stronger week on week on week right then you are adapting to the program if you're getting pain as a result you're not actually adapting to the program right you 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 are adapting to it but the adaptation you're getting is not the adaptation you want you know some something's going wrong right and i I hate using like negative words like wrong but if it's an adaptation you're getting which is the pain uh it it and you don't want that, it's it's wrong, you know? So then you would look at your training and go, oh, okay, what am I actually doing that's leading up to this adaptation that I'm getting, which was not the adaptation that I wanted to get, right? So then you go back on your training, you go, okay, so it, I, I brought in this amount of volume a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm starting to get pain. Okay, so I'm obviously not ad- adapting to that level of volume. Or I brought in this exercise and you know i'm starting to feel my shoulder is a bit painful now or whatever like okay so i'm not actually getting the adaptation i want from that exercise so you can use it to tweak your program from there but that still falls under the bracket of that kind of subjective thing you know like the again like using rpe like you could go oh that session had an rpe of seven and it was great i felt fucking good i felt like i was progressing blah 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 but the overall outcome of it wasn't what you were looking for so rpe kind of falls apart then you know so what we're not well what we're trying to say is using subjective measures will help you make better objective outcome-based decisions right and but that doesn't mean you have to subjectively measure every single session or every single set or every single rep, you know, like you don't have to micromanage that much. Yeah. It can help if you are really trying to dial in things to your overall situation, but that's not necessary for everyone. Like I I have the vast majority of my clients don't use RPE because obviously I'm, 
programming for them so i can see the signs like okay we're not adapting to that we're not getting what we want from that you know you're starting to feel a bit more beat up and i'm kind of preempting a few of those things by steering the program the way that we still get the adaptations we want but you can do that as an individual without actually using rpe like if you are trying to do, you know, I don't know, say powerlifting, I think it's really applicable then. You're like, okay, we want to have this level of stress on the body. So we could do that arbitrarily by just, you know, programming purely based on percentages. Um, but w- what if I actually don't feel good that day? What if I, you know, have had poor sleep? You want a, a, a kind of more subjective way to, you know, dial in the level of, stressor whatever the fuck you want to call it to how you are feeling day to day you know while still getting the adaptation you want which in the case of powerlifting is you know strength you know so you you want to think of it on the grander scale and not just necessarily on the the micro scale of looking at the exercises the rpe of those exercises or the rpe of the overall session itself you're looking at it like how am i actually adapting to the stimulus that I'm trying to adapt to. And this again comes back to the problem that people are just throwing in exercises, throwing in, you know, volume, and they have no actual clear defined goal with what they're doing. Like they have random exercises and it's like, what are you trying to do with this exercise? And they'd be like, I don't know, I heard lunges were good for your legs, so I'm I'm doing lunges. And it's like, well, you're already doing like 12 of the same pattern. Like people will have like fucking 20 different squat patterns in their program. It's like, what what are you trying to do with these? They're literally hitting the exact same thing. You know, like, yeah, the stimulus is ever so slightly different, but like, I, I don't understand what you're trying to do. Like you said, with the uh, the chest workout, it's like you're literally hitting the exact same things multiple, multiple times and you're doing it multiple times per week. So what, what are you actually trying to elicit, you know? Um, so you look at that, you have an, a clear idea why you're putting things in. And then what you're effectively trying to do is measure the outcome of those. And because the outcome of those is hard to fully, you know, measure, even in the case of strength, you know, like people are like, oh, well, my bench press went up from 80 kilos to 100 kilos. And it's like, yeah, but like, look at your technique at 80 kilos and look at your technique at 100 kilos. It's like, they're, they're completely different. So have you actually gotten stronger or did you just bastardize the lift? so that you could lift more weight, you know? So if you're trying to get a specific adaptation, you have to use kind of some objective measures and some subjective measures to ensure that you are slowly ticking along to actually getting to that outcome, you know? Does that make sense? Yes, sir, absolutely. Um, And I agree, like not not everyone needs to use some sort of measure of RPE um, because again, it's it's about understanding the concepts. And as you said, you're still kind of, speaking to your clients and educating your clients about the concept of body regulation, realizing that it is okay to maybe like, if you, if you feel that you can't lift 90 kilos today, even though you could lift it last week, it's okay to do a little bit less because you're looking for the training stress as opposed to the specific load. And if it's a case that you're going in, like you did 90 for eight last week and you're forcing yourself to try and do that today anyway, even though it only feels like you could get five, then that's just that's just poor practice in terms of you're just doing something independent of the amount of stress that it's going to apply onto your body. So even if you're not someone that would enjoy using RPE, so or, or reps in reserve, um, so so kind of tracking how many reps you might have left in the tank, at least understand the concept. At least understand that the training stress is not 
just the result of the objective load that's on the bar, but also the subjective experience and fatigue that results from you lifting that load. So that's important to understand is is that concept because that's really what it's all about. Um, so I suppose before we wrap it up, um, one of the things, one of the things I wanted to let people know, like if you are interested in like learning more about really like how you could apply this in a, a team setting or a strength conditioning setting, because um, obviously that's that's very different to um, like applying it in an online coaching setting because online coaching, you have a lot more um, scope to like or one to one coaching. Rather, you have a lot more scope to speak to the person as an individual and just adjust things on an individual basis, um, analyze everyone, analyze the person's like programming, speak to them, get all that information, um, which isn't always possible in a team setting. You have to make things that little bit more general. Um, so if you're interested in that, go and read some of the research from Tim Gabbett. He's done a lot of the research in this area on training load and injury risk. And like, even if you're just someone that's interested in that in general, um, you can look at how, how this plays out in different sports because it's not the same in every sport. Um, and, you know, it's not going to be the same in every at every level of play. You're going to have different nuances. Um, what else is there? Go and read the Eckerd et al. Systematic review from 2018. They looked at all the evidence on training load and injury risk, and you can see how all the different measures can be used. Um, that's another good place to look. But yeah, that and just flick through Tim Gabbett's work, look at the references, and you'll be well on your way to kind of understanding this concept a little bit better. Or you can let Gary do it for you and just join the militia. Um, <clears throat> just read the article. Militia, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if people understand the concept that you can overall vary your training stressor taking into account your overall life stressor that will allow you to stay somewhat injury free and the way i always conceptualize this to make this very easy to understand you want to have a level of training volume that allows you to get stronger every single week right and that doesn't mean that you add weight to the bar every single week what I mean is you are able to control the variables of your program, tempo, you know, reps, rest timing, all of those things in some manner so that you get stronger or get better at one of them during the session or session to session, right? So you want to choose a level of volume that allows you to do that because what people will do is they'll just do the same they've always done. They'll just be like, oh, I have 100 kilos on the bar. And I can always just get eight reps. So uh, I'm just going to always do eight reps. You know, it's like that you're not actually, what are you actually adapting to with just doing that? You know, you're just doing the same thing over and over and over. You're not actually getting an adaptation that you, you want, you know? And this applies to bodybuilders as well. Like you'll see a lot of people go in and they'll be like, all right, I'm just going to do the 50 kilo dumbbells because I get a real good connection on that. And I just, if I don't feel that connection, I just won't do them. I'll just skip them. It's like, what what are you actually trying to to do with your overall session? If, you, if you're just going to be like, oh, like I'm basing it on just how much of a connection I get on that day. Like, obviously that is important, but what's the adaptation you're trying to elicit? Like, especially if you go in all the time, just use the exact same weight, you know, you're not actually eliciting an adaptation. You know, like, well, you are eliciting an adaptation. You're eliciting an adaptation to maintain where you're at because that's exactly what you're doing, you know? So you do have to take that into account. What's the outcome you're trying to do? 
is your program actually achieving that outcome? Like if you're doing 100 kilos on, I don't know, dumbbell or 50 kilos, sorry, on dumbbells and your chest is growing from it. Fucking awesome. That's that's perfect. Stay there. You know, like no, no one cares. Yeah, progressive tension overload is king. But if you're getting the adaptation that you want and you're not actually having to excessively work for it, fuck, who cares? Literally, you've hit the holy grail you know, um, but you do have to take into account w- what is actually achieving that adaptation, you know, and for the vast majority of time, it's progressively getting stronger over time. So that's what you want to think of when you are looking at your overall training volume, stressor, stress load, uh, as it relates to training, like, are you getting stronger over time? Because if you're getting stronger over time, one would presume that you are decreasing your risk of injury over time, you know, and this is one of those things as well that people will try to jump into programs that they'll see like olympians do or whatever and it's like these, these people have spent the last they've, they've been training since they were four and this is again very common in the fitness industry like someone will come in from you know a rugby background or something and they'll start getting into say bodybuilding and they already come to it with a a larger amount of muscle mass but they also come to it with a large degree of training recoverability whatever the fuck you want to call it you know they'll have a good aerobic base they'll have a good anaerobic base they have a good amount ability to actually contract muscles to actually control their body. You know, that kind of neurological, whatever you want to call it, control your neuro, neurological shit. Um, so they'll, they'll come to training with that. And all of a sudden they get awesome results straight out the block. You know, they'll literally be 12 weeks into this, you know, bodybuilding stuff. And they're like, man, I literally am packing on muscle. This shit is too easy. Right. But it's like, you actually have to take into account that everything you've done up until this point has led you to this point. You know, so if you adapt to something really, really well, it's everything you've done in the past, not just what you've done the last week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. It is everything, you know, Uh, and this is especially true with like fitness adaptations because it's a little bit easier to kind of understand or see with strength adaptations. But especially with the fitness adaptations, like you literally could have more vascularized tissue. So no fucking wonder you can have better you know, aerobic capacity. Like you literally have a better ability to get blood to the muscles, to get oxygen to the muscles. So of course you're going to be able to run for two hours versus the person that has literally had a resting heart rate of 90 their entire lives and never gone for a run. Like they literally can't keep up with that. Like you wouldn't try to just run for four hours straight out the block, having done no exercise in your life, you know? So I don't see why people would try to do that with their training programs, which is effectively what they're trying to do a lot of the time where it's like they just jump into all oh, the rock posted is fucking workout. So I'm just going to do that. And it's like he, he has literally has done everything up until this point. So unless you're willing to do the exact same that he did all the way up until this point, And this is one of those things as well. I think this is what I was going to say earlier on. People will you'll see it in the uh, fitness industry a lot where people will talk about their adaptations and be like, oh, I did all this stupid stuff when I was younger. And now I'm much more or much smarter with my training. It's like, yeah, but that stupid stuff is what informed your training now. Right. Not only just like intellectually, but also physically. You know, like you built a lot of resilience doing fucking stupid stuff. Like you're like, oh, yeah, I was doing German volume with fucking deadlifts. It's like that literally elicited an adaptation that you are still benefiting from now, you know, or potentially not benefiting from. You got to snap your shit up. Um, so you, you, you might be in a bad position as a result, but it still has informed your your trainability, recoverability 
now. And you see this a lot in, you know, what's called the quote unquote evidence-based, you know, fitness or whatever you want to call it, where people will be like, oh, well, I do much smarter training these days. But when you look at their training previously, when they actually built all the muscle, they were doing a fuck ton more volume. They were doing, you know, way more like crazy, like drop sets and fucking shit. And it's like, like this, this helped you along the way. You know, that's not to say that you should do it, but you can't ignore it completely and say like, oh, my current training methods are perfect. Yeah, they're probably perfect for you right now because you already got all those adaptations or because you learn from those adaptations. And yes, it is obviously wise to learn from mistakes and stuff like that. But I think it's a kind of doing the, the fitness industry a disservice by promoting this idea that, oh, what we're doing now or what is the in parlance or the, the in vogue now is the perfect modality. You know, it's like, that's, we don't know that. And we definitely don't know that for you as an individual, unless we have literally spent a large volume of time together learning how your body as an individual adapts, you know? Yeah. And, and you touched, you touched on the point of kind of like people maybe being too specific as well in terms of like the whole, like spe- your specific fitness versus your general fitness. Like you, t- you touched on how um like having more vascularized tissue or having just a generally better aerobic base could potentially enhance your strength training outcomes your hypertrophy outcomes and that's important because you know it's not just a case of us being like uh it's all just training load and that's all you worry about it's like that's not the only the only thing that we're saying um because you know there's a there's a dose response relationship between strength training and reducing injury risk beyond it's not just about strength training it's like if you are a field sports athlete and you do strength training then you're going to reduce your injury risk even though it's not a specific management of training load um for your actual sport it's still building up your body building up your general fitness base in this case strength um, that is contributing to a reduction in injury risk and you can like there's a paper on that from 2018 as well by larson um but but basically the point is that you 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 do want a certain amount of general fitness qualities um before you specialize especially if you're someone like me or patty or anyone else listening to this podcast who's like yeah you kind of want to be fit you want to be healthy you want to build a little bit of muscle you want to be kind of strong but you're not trying to be the best powerlifter in the world or you're not trying to be the best bodybuilder in the world or the best endurance runner it's like that's not your thing you're trying to kind of have qualities from a few different areas and you're okay with not specializing then in that case it's even more important and even more of a good idea to have a general fitness base and from multiple different areas because otherwise you might just be holding yourself back from being a good generalist but also from being a good specialist because you do need a general base i'm also calling bullshit on all these people that are like oh i'm a specialist like I, i i power lift or whatever it's like all these motherfuckers are listening to music while they train i'm like you don't listen to music while you compete. So you're not specializing. Uh, you literally have to, if you're going to say I'm a specialist or, you know, only squat bench deadlift because, you know, we want to be specialized in those lifts. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. Practice them like you literally are going to practice. You're, you're going to compete. Literally no music. You know, you're going to get hyped up before every single fucking lift because that's what you're going to do in your, in your competition. So it's like, if that, if you want to talk about specificity, that's what you're doing. Not 
you know, or listening to your favorite songs on fucking Spotify or whatever, and in a nice cozy gym and fucking, you know, getting all these adaptations that you're not going to have on competition day. So you're not a specialist. You're more specialized. But again, like, you, I think the music one is a big one as well, because, you know, music has been shown to affect your training, you know? So I'm like, if you're, if you're going to compete and you're not going to listen to music, don't listen to music in your training. It makes no sense. You know? Anyway, that's just my, my fucking argument. I hate all these people that are like, oh, I'm a specialist. And it's like, you're okay. Well, you're not specializing in what you want to compete. Like that's literally like fucking, I don't know, going hunting and listening to music. Be like, well, you're just literally missing out on the actual stuff that you're doing. Like, you're not going to listen to music while you're out hunting because you're not going to hear the fucking signals that you need to hear, you know? So, if you're going to practice hunting, you're not going to pop some earphones in and practice, you know? So, if you're going to practice powerlifting and you're not going to compete with earphones in, then you're not adapting to the exact stimulus that you're going to have on competition day. Anyway, that's just my rant. Could be wrong. Who knows? <laughs> It should just be like bodybuilding where you request your song and then you have your one song come on. Maybe they do that in some meets. Although it's the worst thing ever being at a bodybuilding show because like literally every third song they get wrong and, like, and then what? the person comes out and they're nearly crying and they're like, fuck's sake, boy. Yeah. And also you have to listen <laughs> to the same song whenever fucking motivational song is out that year. It's like literally fucking 30, 30 times, you know. Yeah. Literally like I fucking hate this song now. I already don't like music, so. Yeah, Sale was the worst. <laughs> Sale <laughs> and like three hundred violin orchestra, yeah. or whatever it's called. It's like every every bodybuilding show. <laughs> but anyway, anything else to add before we go? I think that covers up most things. To give you a very quick recap, training load. However, you want to think about it, we. I think you should just think about it conceptually. Conceptually, at least for now, um, is important. Um, it's important to look at how you change your training variables over time um, and how that might relate to injury or pain that you experience. Um, don't do stupid things like drastically increasing training load. If you're coming back from a, a period of time off, whether that's a holiday or whether it's a period of time where you weren't training properly, gradually reintroduce yourself into training. That includes someone coming back from injury. Um, I don't care if your manager is a hardcore motherfucker and wants you to do 10 laps when you're just coming back from your hamstring injury. Tell him, here, look, dude, um, I need to gradually reintroduce myself into the team. Your teammates are probably going to tell you you're a loser and your manager's going to shout at you. But anyway, I have to advise you. <laughs> Get in my head, but um, stressors need to be thought of as psychological and physiological and just forget even separating them. It's all the one thing. Your body responds to them. Um, and then finally, something about listening to music when you're powerlifting. <laughs> right that is it um i don't have anything to say it's been a good week i have exams the next two weeks i'm fucking excited i'm hyped fucking it's good like too easy um do you have anything else to say anything coming up for you you're going to uh belarus, belarus. so I presume, I presume people can donate and do shit yeah actually i might put up a link maybe this week so if you're listening to this it's monday probably um, so I'll put up a link and you can support me on the Instagrams. That'll be sound. This is the um, same one in was. Belarus. Yeah, you can do it in this podcast if you want. It should be the same one. You can donate there. Although it looks, 
it looks real scum. I need to start a new one because it looks it looks like I've already raised like seven grand. Whereas what you have to realize is that's over the course of many trips. It's not just this one. So in for more money. All right, let me just check if I have this in the. Uh... No, I don't. Do. I'm sorry. We can put it in. I'm a bad person, but yeah, if you send it to me, I will put it in. Yeah, and all the only the only other thing is that both Paddy and I are back vlogging on our own YouTube channels, so Skinny Gaz and Paddy And you, Farrell, you trolled everyone fucking hard as fuck when you're one. <laughs> Why, what did I do? And at the first op opening minutes, it's like, yeah, so we're recording on our own channels because uh, me and Paddy are going our own way. I was like, you fucking troll. Like, people literally, I'd say they shit themselves. Like, <laughs> Of course they did. They'd be crying. Um, but yeah, go follow our YouTube channels <laughs> and watch us ranting about shit. Telling, telling you what we're eating for breakfast. <laughs> Hmm, yes and filming our nights out and anyway <laughs> yeah just do the whole fit fam thing just film our nights out you know snort a load of cocaine uh, get shredded um, oh yeah do a uh, 100 million k fucking calorie challenge and then fucking uh, go on the bag on a night out and be fucking good like hate yourself for a week after the food then <laughs> yeah anyway gonna wrap this up do you have any final parting words Gary just remember, it's too easy. It literally is.